Well, welcome to Waterview, everybody. Happy Sunday. Merry Christmas. My name is Jason Bentley. I serve as the lead pastor here. And because I'm the pastor and because I love and care about you, I wanted to give you just a little warning. My oldest son, Dylan, on Friday turned 16 and got his driver's license. So you might want to keep an eye out on the roads today and the weather, as well as if you see him anywhere near you, just take precaution. But we're so glad that you're here today, that you're here today with us. And we've been doing a series called Christmas Conspiracy, and we're going to be continuing that today. So I invite you to go with me to Luke chapter number two and verse number eight is where we're going to start. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been looking at different parts of the Christmas story, John chapter number one, Matthew chapter number two. Today, it's Luke chapter two, verse number eight reads, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. So picture They are minding their own business, doing what they've always done, and suddenly the skies are lit up, and they have a private audience with the most spectacular show of all time. An angel of the Lord appeared. The radiance of God's glory surrounds them. They're terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly, as if what they've already seen is not enough, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others the armies of heaven, and they're praising God, and they're saying, glory to God in highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom heaven and God is pleased. Now notice their response. Here they are. They've got a private showing. They've got VIP access to this this spectacular light show, this spectacular angelic choir But when it ends, it says the angels returned to heaven and the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. As I mentioned, the last few weeks we've been talking about us together as a faith family, us as individuals joining in this year to a Christmas conspiracy. And we just felt like a Christmas conspiracy was necessary because for many of us, for the culture at large, for our nation as a whole, Christmas means overstuffed schedules, credit card debt, and skyrocketing stress. And we more and more, year after year, we struggle to find the connection between all of our holiday to-do lists and the story of Jesus' birth. 
So this year, we've joined into a conspiracy together to flip the script on the holidays. And we're a part of a a conspiracy. And before you freak out, let me just define again what we mean when we say that we're a part of a conspiracy. Simply, we are a group of people who are conspiring together to go against a cultural norm. And you've all seen it for the last many decades. The norm for Christmas is anything and everything but what it is meant to be, what it started off as. The Christmas norm now in our world is we aspire to acquire. It's all about more food, getting into debt, a hectic schedule, getting everything ready. In fact, just think about how much of this season is about prepping and planning and partying. And we're doing all of these things so much so, running from here and there and baking and, and, and celebrations and people that we have to see. There's just so much. And as a result, we end up missing Christmas. We miss the hope. We miss the peace. We miss the joy. I'm afraid that we miss Jesus altogether. And I think that the question that we need to constantly be asking ourselves this Christmas and Christmases to come very simply is, is the way that we're spending our time and our money and our energy during this holiday season, does it reflect our belief that Jesus is the light of the world? And if it doesn't, then we need to commit and engage in a full-blown Christmas conspiracy. So what is the the cultural norm that we're, we're going against? What are we doing to make this Christmas unique in our lives, unique for our families? Well, the first week we talked about how we're making this time all about spiritual growth instead of tradition. That's, that's one aspect of our Christmas conspiracy, spiritual growth instead of tradition. We also have talked about the last couple of weeks that we're making this year all about family instead of busyness. That this year we want it to be about presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. We want it to be about presence. We want us to be present, eliminate clutter, to slow things down, to build relationships, strengthen relationship, to have an actual connection with our families. And then last week we focused on the fact that we're going to be all about generosity instead of consumerism. And one of the practical ways in which we engaged in generosity was last week we as a church took steps to be able to support, care for, and provide for more children in need in the country of Honduras. And now because of decisions that were made uh, last week, in addition prior to last week. Now, as a church, we are caring for and providing for, in Honduras, 
uh, nearly 30 kids. And so I'm so thankful for that, providing food, education, medical health and wellness, social development, and then, of course, the gospel discipleship, on ongoing information and transformation regarding this great God that we love and serve. And so I want to thank you for that. We're going to make a difference together. We're going to continue making a difference together. In fact, for the last five weeks or so, we've been highlighting with videos different things, different projects, different ministries that we have been committed to supporting over the last year, different things that we've done and that we've accomplished because a part of our culture here at Waterview is to be generous. We want to be generous, and this Christmas we are choosing generosity instead of consumerism. Today, I want to talk to you for a little while on the fact that we need to, if we're going to do this Christmas conspiracy, we need to all be about mission instead of entertainment. That this Christmas, we need to be about mission instead of entertainment. A.W. Tozer said this, we should come to church not anticipating entertainment. But we should come to church expecting the high and holy manifestation of God's presence. And you know, I believe that as followers of Jesus, sons and daughters of God, a part of the church of Jesus Christ, that we should approach our lives in the same manner. That our lives should not be about more and more entertainment, but our lives should be all about the presence of God. It should be about engaging in the mission of God. I think that our lives should mirror these shepherds that we read about from the very first Christmas. Again, here they are out in the field doing what they do, making their living, working their nine to five, their, their 80 hours a week, whatever the case may be, they're, they're just living life. And suddenly God visits them and he visits them in such a real and supernatural way that they are, they are sitting on the front row of, of something that has never been seen before like it and has not ever been seen since. A, a spectacular light show in the sky the radiance of God's glory, angels singing. And I know that in this day and age, we, we picture angels as being these chubby little cherubs that, that float on clouds playing harps. But if you would actually study angels from a biblical perspective, angels were fearsome and powerful and awe-inspiring. And the sky is lit up with God's glory and there's all of these angels and then a heavenly host and people are singing. It's a choir. I mean, for, for men who were just used to the wind blowing through the leaves of the trees and the grass being ruffled occasionally, this would have been absolutely mind-boggling for them. You know, we live in the day and in the era of Disney and all kinds of cool things that we see in television and in movies. But this was long before all of that. They had never seen anything like this. There was no pyrotechnics. There were no 
fireworks. There were no light shows. And here they are just being. But I love how they respond to everything that transpires. There's this moment of, of entertainment, but that's not where they remained. That's not where they stayed. We, we don't ever read that there was a hunger produced in them to have more of that. It was what it was. And then the Bible said that they, they went on their way. They actually, from there, went to seek out Jesus. And then they committed themselves to being on a mission of telling others that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, has come. At the very first Christmas, we have shepherds who are choosing mission instead of entertainment. And if there was, if there was a group of people that we could overlook or could explain or could justify being drawn to what they had just seen because they had never seen anything like it, never saw anything after it again, we could kind of give them a pass like, well, it, it stands to reason. Of course, they're going to want some more of that. It's all new to them. But no, they chose mission. They immediately go from those moments to letting others know about Jesus. So my heart today, as we kind of go into this final week leading up to Christmas, is to challenge you, let's, as people of faith, as the people of God, let's not just be entertained, but let's live on purpose and let's fulfill a mission. Benjamin Hardy said that it's ordinary people that seek entertainment. And I've been wrestling with that all week. It's ordinary people that seek entertainment. And the more that I wrestled with it and the more that I thought about it and the more that I kind of took personal inventory of my life, I see, and it's very clear, that most people in our lives, maybe even in this room, most of the people around us, they are very distracted right now. They're distracted while they're at work. They're distracted when they're with their family and friends. They're distracted at the gym if they even go to the gym. They're distracted on their commute. They're distracted in the shower, distracted in church. Everyone is distracted. And we are distracted because we live in a world that is literally filled with nonstop, unceasing entertainment. And entertainment is one of the virtues and is one of the values that we clamor for and that we desire the most. Entertainment particularly within the American context, is one of the most important things. Most people that I know, most people that I interact with, they have replaced mission and purpose and deep fulfillment. They have replaced that with the latest series. The most recent Hollywood release. They've replaced that with party and they've replaced it with social media and their lives are characterized by entertainment and distraction and not by mission and purpose. 
And what's the result? Well, as a result, the majority of us don't really have a lot of close relationships. We're stuck in jobs that we hate. Our life is on the fast track to just never-ending disappointment, and we don't really know what to do. Benjamin Hardy, the guy that, that said that it's ordinary people that are all about entertainment, he also said this, that entertainment and distraction are an enemy, and they will keep you in mediocrity. And so as, as I'm pondering all of these things, I realize that if we continue doing what we've been doing, that the mediocre majority is going to continue going through life this way, and they're going to never experience the fullness of a life filled with focus on a significant mission and on a significant purpose. How many of you know here today that Jesus did not save us? He did not die. He did, he did not suffer torment. He was not buried in the ground for three days, did not rise triumphant. For those of us who put our faith in him, for those of us who have received his forgiveness and salvation, he did not do all of that for us to be ordinary, for us to be trapped in a life of mediocrity where we're carrying constant disappointment because entertainment is letting us down. Jesus has given us this Christmas the gift of living for something more. He has given to each of us an opportunity to live for something that's meaningful, something that's noble, something that's powerful, something that lasts. However, you need to remember this. If you're taking notes, write this down. I will never get the best of what God has to offer until... I give God my best. And what I mean by that is very simply, Jesus invites us into true greatness. Not, not to be ordinary, not to be mediocre. Jesus invites us into true greatness, but that greatness is discovered as we serve his cause. It is not an invitation into greatness for greatness sake or for, for anything other than allowing us to plug into something that's going to give our life meaning, that's going to give our life fulfillment. We're reminded of this by the Apostle Paul who writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, he died, referring to Jesus, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. He died, he rose again so that those of us that receive that fresh start, that forgiveness, that reconciliation, that restoration, it's done so that we will no longer live for ourselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. And then it gives us our mission. And the mission remains the same. That's the same one that the shepherds were committed to that we read about in Luke chapter number two. 
So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ everywhere we go, when we plead and when we proclaim, come back to God. That's the mission. Here at our church, we say that, that our mission is, is making our lives matter. That, that, that if we boil down 2 Corinthians 5 and being an ambassador of Christ and, and, and pleading his cause everywhere that we go to everyone that we meet, that's making our lives matter. But what exactly does it, does it look like? If you're a Christian... If you have at any point in time said, Jesus is my Lord and leader, if you declare, I am a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like. Live like Jesus, share his love. It's that simple. The mission, the mission that we're choosing this Christmas holiday instead of entertainment is live like Jesus share his love. And these last couple of moments that we have together, I want to highlight very practically what live like Jesus is all about and what share his love is all about. Live like Jesus. How do we live like Jesus? Number one, we, we make our relationship with God public. We make it public. It's not about something that we hide, that we cover up, that we kind of do in secret because we don't want to risk losing friends, losing influence. We make our relationship with God public. And do you know that the way that Jesus went about that? Now, we know that Jesus was... God in flesh. He was the word of God that became flesh. But there was this connection, this relationship with the man, Christ Jesus, and the eternal God. And how, how does he make public who he was, this, this whole divine connection that he possessed? He got baptized. And it's still true today. We make public our faith in Jesus, we, we make public our relationship with God, number one, through baptism. And why is it that baptism is the way that we do that? It's to demonstrate that our lives have been changed. And secondly, to let the world know that we belong to Jesus. Another way that we make our relationship with God public once we've been baptized, once we've made that decision to become one with him through baptism, we simply, with our words and with our conduct, we share Jesus. We're constantly declaring him. And it's very important that we make our relationship with God public as we live like Jesus because this is what it says in Matthew 10. Whoever acknowledges me, Jesus is speaking, Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, 
I will disown him before my Father in heaven. So if we're going to live like Jesus, we've got to, number one, make our relationship with God public. Number two, we've got to spend time with God every single day because exposure is what transforms us. We're living like Jesus. It means that we're spending time with God. We're spending time reading the word of God, getting God's heart, God's thoughts, God's wishes and will into who we are. We're spending time in prayer. We're spending time in worship, actually seeking to connect with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We're spending time with God every day because exposure to his word, exposure to him in prayer, exposure to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, that is what transforms us. And that's what this is all about. 2 Corinthians 3 says this, we are being transformed into Christ's likeness. And do you know that to be like Jesus, to be transformed to be like Jesus is not just to stop committing a few obvious sins. I think that a lot of us think that as Christians, like the whole goal of Christianity is just to make us a better person. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on some of my bad habits. I want Jesus to help me not lie so much, not cheat as often, not gossip and complain. Maybe if I get enough Jesus, I won't have as many impure thoughts. But to be like Jesus, to be transformed into his likeness, is to always seek to do the will of the Father. That's really what it means to be like Jesus and to live like Jesus. It's to come to the place where we delight to do the will of God, however sacrificial or unpleasant that may seem to us at the time. And we're going to do it simply because it's his will. It's about his will, not mine. What he wants, not what I want. That's what it means to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, to live like Jesus. Third, the way that we live like Jesus is that we choose right relationships. We choose right relationships. Notice the pattern of Jesus. Jesus surrounded himself with the multitudes, but then invested in smaller groups. They were known as disciples, and there were there were hundreds of disciples, but that broke down more and more and more until finally he had just a small group of 12. And then beyond that, there were three that he really poured himself into, but he knew the power of right relationships. And I think that one of the problems that many of us American Christians have is that American philosophy and American ideals such as self-reliance, pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that is always constantly playing in, in the background hardwire even of our faith. But do you realize that the gospel and the kingdom, it's not a message of self-reliance. 
It's a message of interdependence. It's not a message of I'm going to do it myself. It's a message of I need the right people in my life so that we can do this together. First Thessalonians kind of describes what right relationships look like. I think we all kind of inherently know what a right relationship is, but I love how it's described in First Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul's writing and he says, we showed you kindness and we were gentle among you. We cared for you in the same way as a nursing mother cares for her own children with a mother's love and affectionate attachment to you. We were very happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives. You had become so dear to us and you know how affectionately we treated each of you like a loving father cares for his own children. We comforted and encouraged you and challenged you to adopt a lifestyle worthy of God who invites you into his kingdom and glory. That's what right relationships look like. It looks like people that are kind, people that are gentle, people that are affectionate, people that are happy, where you know that you're dear to them and they're dear to you. People that are encouraging you. And then last notice, and challenged you to adopt a lifestyle worthy of God who invites you into his kingdom and glory. That's what it means to have right relationships. And that is why our church, as long as we've been in existence, we've been encouraging and challenging people, number one, to have a relationship with a local church, to be planted in and in part of a church. But beyond that, to get into a small group and to gather with others during the week to grow in their relationship with God and others. And then beyond that, to be in relationship with a team and be serving Jesus and his kingdom and investing your gifts and talents and potential with others to make a difference. That's how we live like Jesus. So this Christmas, we're choosing mission over entertainment. And that mission is live like Jesus, share his love. So we now know what it looks like to live like Jesus, but what does it mean to share his love? Very simply, it's about making a difference in the lives of others. Making a difference in the lives of others. Howard Thurman put it like this, when the song of the angels is stilled, and the star in the sky is gone. When the kings and princes are home. And when the shepherds are back with their flock. The work of Christmas begins. To find the lost. To heal the broken. To feed the hungry. To release the prisoner. To rebuild the nations. To bring peace among others. To make music in the heart. Isn't it interesting that at the very first Christmas, these shepherds, they were choosing mission over entertainment. But something that's even more interesting to me is when you get to the very final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, 
And if we're talking about controversy and if we're talking about conspiracies, the book that provokes the most controversy and the most conspiracy theories. But do you know that if you read through the book of Revelation that there's a, a snapshot where Christmas appears in the book of Revelation. Like we get this kind of behind the scenes look, a view at kind of what is actually happening at the first Christmas. It's kind of the rest of the story. It's the expose. And why is that? Why would this first Christmas that was about mission over entertainment, why would that appear in the very last book of the Bible? Why would that be a part of the book of the apocalypse? It's to remind us of the mission. It's to remind us of what God is calling us to do. Do you know that we do not have the book of Revelation so that we'll go out and build bomb shelters in our backyard? We have the book of Revelation so that we'll build bigger dinner tables and invite more of our friends over so we can tell them about what Jesus has done in our lives.